0: You are listening to the New Vision Church podcast, a community to belong, be loved, and believe. So, um, just want to say, uh, on behalf of the church, you know, last week we had a great, great uh, time with Brian uh, Edmund, who shared uh, his testimony and, um, his ministry with us, and I uh, so appreciate uh, Brian and his heart and what God is doing in and through him, and we're looking to have. Uh, he and the ministry back uh, for a conference, maybe uh, in the spring. And uh, it would basically be a mental health kind of conference. Um, so be looking out for more information on that to come. And today, because Tuesday is Valentine's Day, so um, I know some of y'all are like, hey, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, but because of that, you know, I figured, well, you know, there's a great time to talk about God's love, right? And uh, today, we're going to focus on God's love because it is important for us to understand that God does love us. God loves you. God loves me. And you know, one of the things that we've got to understand is that God loves you, even you. Right? God loves me, even me. Because if we're going to be honest, sometimes we're not lovable. Sometimes you're hard to get along with. Right. If we're going to be honest, sometimes I can be hard to get along with. Sometimes I just want my way. I don't care. Right? And what we've got to understand is this, is that God loves us in spite of all that. God loves you in spite of all your flaws, all of your incapabilities. All of the things that you feel like is wrong with you or about you, God still loves you anyway. And even in all of our efforts, right, we could never make God love us. God loves us because that's who God is. This morning, we look at this verse in 1 John 4, 16. It says, we have come to know and have believed. Okay, now these two different things. Knowing, right, is through experience. We've experienced God's love. This week, as you go through Valentine's Day, or you go through other holidays or other experiences in your life, I'm telling you this, you can know that God loves you. One of the ways you know God loves you is how He protects you. Anybody had any protection lately? (laughs) Some supernatural protection and intervention in your life? I'm telling you, just driving six inches away from some other car on the road, right, is protection. Especially in Atlanta, (laughs) Right? And, and it's getting worse here in Fayetteville, right? That there it's like there's sirens going off all the time everywhere. And so God protecting you is just one instance of God's love for you. So we've come to know and we have believed that even if I don't see how God is loving me, I still believe that He loves me. Right? You hear the old story, right, of this old couple who was sitting on the porch, right? They've been married for like 50-some years. Congratulations, Kurt and Miss Rose, on your anniversary today. (laughs) This old couple, you know, sitting on the porch. They've been married for 50-some years, and the wife is there with her husband, and, you know, she looks over and says, you haven't told me you love me in several years. He kind of looks back at her and says, well... I told you several years ago, and it hadn't changed. <laughs> now, you know, you better tell that person you love them on more than one occasion, right? Without the span of years going by. And, and so what we got to understand is this, is that, that God loves us. And sometimes we may not always be hearing God say he loves us, but he loves us. Sometimes we just don't have our listening ears on, Right? Sometimes we're not paying attention to the things going on around us. And then it goes on and says this, God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now, I want to I be clear on this, right? When the Bible says that God is love, that does not mean that love is God. And this is what the world would have us to believe, right? That love is God. Everywhere you go, you're going to hear, and you're going to hear a lot about it, right? Moving as we go along in society, and our culture is changing. You're going to hear, love is love. Not all love is the same. Let me, let me just make that clear, right? Many of us, when, we, when before you became a Christian, let me tell you this. Your love was a selfish love. You were looking for what you were going to get out of it. And you might say, oh, you know, I have these feelings. I'm in love with this person. Let me tell you this if you fall into love, you can fall out of love. Right? And it hurts either way you fall. (laughs) Right? So you got to be careful using these words like, I fell in love. You got to be careful because that kind of love is not, it's not the same love as God's love. Okay? It's a very selfish love. And even on our best days, those of us who are Christians, even those of us who, who have God's love in our lives, we can still be selfish. We can still be looking at, what, what am I going to get out of this, right? We, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, right? And I got an itch, like, right there, right? So what can happen is we can be looking at what's in it for us. But, but one of the things that I want you to understand is the world is trying to redefine what love is and what love should be and making love as the ultimate achievement that you should accept everything. Listen, no one in their right mind accepts everything, right? Even Jesus had some disciples who were doubters. And, and, and Jesus did not condemn them for doubting. Jesus did not condemn them for skepticism. And so listen, as we go through this life, one of the best things you can do as a Christian is ask good questions. Ask good questions. What does love mean to you? What does love is love mean to you? Because I serve a God who is love, and I think God redefines love differently than how you're defining it. And so saying that love is God is not correct because people are trying to elevate love as the highest thing in life. But when the Bible talks about God being love, let me just help you understand this that even though God is love, that is not his only characteristic. And everybody wants to say, oh, all God is, is love. All God is, is love. Listen, that is, that is the nature of God. But I want you to know that God's love is holy love. And so, if your version of love is an unholy version of love, then that is not God's love. Because God's love is holy, everything that God does is holy, because God's nature is holy, and even though God is love, his love is a holy love, and so it's different. But what we've got to understand is this, is that God is loving to us, he is loving toward us, and not just Christians, he loves everyone, he does love everyone. And so what happens a lot of times, and especially when we talk about, you know, this love is love thing, and we, people are, are really all into trying to convince us to go the way of culture, right? And so what happens is this. You have some pastors and, and churches that are gay affirming. And one of the things uh, a few weeks ago I was asked about, you know, how, how is your church? What does your church feel about homosexuals on the stage? And I was like, well... We love everyone. We accept everyone. But our church would not condone that lifestyle. Okay? So I want to be clear on this. Everyone is welcome to come to this church. Anyone can come and experience the love of God. But the Bible is clear about how we are to live. And living is different, right, for a follower of Christ. And so I want to be clear on that because there might be some people who are wondering, you know, what does what the pastor's take on this? You know, where's your church on this? And we have getting phone calls about it, so let me be blatantly clear, right? We love all people, but we do not condone a gay lifestyle, okay? And so we have to understand that love is not just love. Because love actually tells you the truth, right? Love tells you the truth. If somebody loved you and they never told you the truth, would that be love? So what we have to do and understand is this, is that if we say the Bible is the truth, then we have to tell what the Bible says. And the Bible says that certain ways and certain how how we live, right, is either of God or it's not of God. But I want you to understand this, that everything that God does is with love and out of love. Some people feel like, oh, you know, God doesn't love me because God allowed this to happen. No, that's not true. You've got to understand, you live in a fallen world. And everything that happens to you is not because God made it happen to you. It's because you might have made some bad choices. And now you have a consequence. Everything that happens to you is not because you're a bad person. It's because you're surrounded by bad people. There are good people, good Christian people, who die because of someone else being bad. So it's not that God doesn't love you. It's that you live in a world where God's love isn't prevalent. You live in a world where everybody loves themselves more than they love you. So we can't say love is love because it ain't the same kind of love. God's love is different. But everything that God does is with love and out of love for you. Another thing I'd like for you to understand is this. God doesn't love you because you're good or you deserve his love. But God does love you because he is good. You see, God loves us because he is good. And because he created us, and that's going to be the first point today, right? These are all kind of kind of rhyme a little bit. So God creates, that God created us, and because God created us, he loves us, right? Many of you have had children, and they have drawn these pictures, these stick pictures, you know. Y'all are going to get pictures from, from your children soon. They're going to be coloring, and you're going to say, oh, what's that? And they're going to say, that's mommy and daddy. It's not going to look anything like you. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to take that and you're going to put it on that refrigerator door. And you're going to say, look at what Nyla drew me, right? And you're going to celebrate that, right? You're going to take pictures and send it to the grandparents. You're going to send it to everybody. And you're going to celebrate this because this is what your child made. Now, you're not going to say, come on, kid. Come on. You've been around me for eight years. You can get a better picture than that, right? No, you're going to celebrate that. Because you love them. And listen, God loves us even though we do things imperfectly. Right? Uh, I heard this illustration a long time ago. If God has a refrigerator, your picture's on it. That God loves you that much that he has got your picture up on it. And he's calling the angels around saying, Hey, come here, let me show you what they did this morning. And the angels might be scratching their heads saying, What? Huh? That doesn't look anything like you, God. And God's like, Hey, this is what my child gave me. And I love it. So, see, what we've got to understand is this. God doesn't love us because we're good, because we're great artists, or because we're great singers, or because we're great preachers. God loves us because he created us, and he loves us just the way we are. So I want you to understand this, that God created you this morning. And I don't care how many people have told you, oh, you were just a mistake. Or or we weren't planning on having another one, but uh, there you are. Some of y'all might have heard that. Some people in this room might feel like, you know, well, I'm not as good as my brother or my sister. And let me tell you this: it doesn't matter. You don't have to be as good as your brother or sister. God loves you just the way you are. And He is the one who planned your life, not your parents, not your grandparents. I know some grandparents are like, "When you're going to have? When you're going? Come on, come on, come on!" It's not up to you It's up to God. God is the one who gives life. And so God created you. Now, I've heard this recently. It's like somebody asked, uh, and, and you know they were asking, I think, out of a legitimate reason, trying to figure out, OK, why did God create us? Why did God create me? Why did God create you? And the response from even a theologian was this, and it was a ridiculous response. He said, "Oh, God created you because He was lonely." Nope. Eh, thanks for playing. God did not create us because he was lonely. He created us because he wanted to display his glory through us. He wanted to shower his love upon us. This is why God created us. It's not that God was lonely. He had the fellowship, the perfect fellowship of Holy Spirit and Jesus. They are perfect in everything. They are completely unified. There is not any loneliness in God. But God created us that we might be able to experience His love. He wanted to share this love with His creation. And so God did it. And you know what? Genesis 1 tells us time and time again, and it was good. That when God created us, it was good. Now, sometimes, right, we, we, we misread this. Let me, look, let me look at Genesis chapter 131. Look at what it says. Because sometimes this is where we go. We say, oh, you hear even preachers say this, right? I think I've probably even mistakenly said this before. That, that when God made man, he saw that mankind was good. It was very good when he made us. That's not what the Bible says. Look at what Genesis 131 says. God saw all that he made and saw that it was very good. We like to think, oh, God is the one who's saying, yeah, look at at mankind. They are the pinnacle of everything. You're it. You're very good. It wasn't just mankind. God looked at everything that he had made, and he said, I'm going to create mankind in my image. We're the only ones created in his image. But when he put us in the garden... He said, now this is very good. I've told you all this before. You know what, Why did he create Adam and even put him in the garden? Because he wanted them to do some work in the garden. You're all going to be gardeners when you get to heaven. <laughs> some of you all like, I ain't got a green thumb. That's yeah, all right. You don't have to have one. It's going to last forever. You can't kill it. <laughs> but look at what happens, right? In the garden... They have this perfect fellowship with God. And even Jesus in his pre-incarnate state, I believe it's Jesus, comes walking in the cool of the day. The Bible says this, this, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what happens is this, is that Adam and Eve had made a bad choice. And they chose to eat from the fruit of the knowledge, or or the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they did that, this relationship was broken. I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship where everything's not going well. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes y'all may not be talking to each other. Might be just like staring at each other, saying who's going to make the first move, right? Might be on the silent treatment. Somebody might be sleeping on the couch in the doghouse, some of y'all might, might go even like hours upon hours before one of you reconciles. And so I believe God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, they all knew that Adam and Eve had sinned and had fallen. But the Lord continues His normal routine. You know what gets under your skin? Is when the other person, it acts like it doesn't bother them at all they just going on about their routine, right? Yeah, they just say, yeah, life is good. I'm just going to keep on going, right? And you're just like, come on. So what does Adam and Eve do, right? They run and they hide themselves. And here is Jesus just walking in the cool of the day just like he always does. Adam, where are you, man? Where, Adam? Where are you? Adam's like sticking his head out behind the tree, right? I'm over here, Lord. He's like, what are you doing hiding, man? Why are you hiding? You got something to hide? He says, well, you know, we ate from the tree. But it wasn't my fault. It was her fault, <laughs> right? They really quick to pass the blame, right? We do that in relationships, right? We don't want to take responsibility ourselves. We don't want to say it's somebody else's fault. Listen, we live in a world right now where it's always somebody else's fault. We as Christians need to be willing to step up and say, hey, we... we Probably got it wrong here. No, we haven't been as loving as we should be. No, we haven't been as kind as we should be. Maybe even we, we don't make people feel as accepted as we should. We, we got to work on that, right? We got to work on it. We don't need to pass the buck and say, well, you know, it's, it's my mom and dad's fault. Or it's, this, it's not anybody else's fault. It's yours. And so, Adam and Eve sin, And God... Jesus kind of gives them some consequences from it. But I want you to see this in Genesis chapter 2, verse number 9. Look at what it says. It says, Out of the ground the Lord God calls to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. So every tree that was there was pleasing to the sight. Wow, you look at that fruit. Wow, that's, I've never seen that before. That looks really delicious. I'm going to try that. Every tree was there for them to eat. And it was good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now look at what 2.16 and 17 says. The Lord God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. There's no restriction. You can go through and you can eat as much of any tree as you want. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Every tree but one. Every tree but one. The, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But look at what the serpent does in Genesis 3, 4, and 5. The serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. God doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, come on. God knows that if you eat that fruit from that day Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let me ask you this question. When Adam and Eve were created, how were they created? They were created perfectly innocent, right? No sin, good nature, good people. So... When they ate of this tree, it wasn't like they were getting knowledge of good. They already had knowledge of good. What they were getting was knowledge of evil. And so Adam and Eve had this option. Well, we already know good, but what's evil? Let me tell you this. You know what's going to get you in trouble more than anything? Curiosity. Asking the wrong questions doing things out of, I just want to know, this this won't really hurt me. It's not a big deal. And let me tell you this, some of you have been struggling with things all of your life since that one time. That one thing that you thought wasn't going to be a big deal in your life is now a big deal because, well, it was just one click or it was just one taste or it was just one hit. And so what happened is this. I'm just curious. Everybody else is doing it. Let me just see. Oh, it won't affect me. Oh, yes, it will. Be careful with curiosity. You already know what's good. You don't need to know what's evil. You already know what's good. And so when they did this, they were opened up now to everything that was evil. The Bible calls this sin. Now, the word sin is actually an archery term. And maybe one day I'll bring in like a bow and arrow and, and show you how that works. But today, just to keep it simple, it means to miss the bullseye. It means that you're aiming to hit the dead center, but every time you're going to miss. That no matter how good you are, you can't hit it every time. You can't hit it every time. Some of us might be really skilled with shooting a weapon, weapon with, with being really good in some kind of area of our life. But are you good in every area? Nope, you're not. And you can work at it and work at it and work at it, but you will never be perfect at it. So sin means to miss the mark. And the reason that God hates sin, because people, people hear this all the time, you know, God is just, he's just full of wrath and anger. No, he's not. He's full of love, but because he is so full of love, he dislikes, he hates, has a wrath toward everything that tries to disrupt that. Anything that's going to cause friction, anything that's going to cause um, a brokenness in the relationship, God hates. And that's what sin does. Because, you see, this is what sin does. Sin pits you against God. Sin pits you and your self-interest against God's interest. It pits your love and your selfish love against God's perfect love. That's what it means to miss the mark. That, that it's causing us not to move towards God, but actually to move away from God. That, that we say, you know what, this is so appealing to me that even though God says this is not good, I just, I just want it. Just got to have it. Sin doesn't ever move us closer to God. It takes us away. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Look at this. But each one is tempted, look at this, when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's by your own desires. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. You see, many of us think sin was the core issue. The core issue is not sin. The core issue is lust. Hmm, did you know that? So look at this. Lust gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's accomplished, it gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So, what is lust? It's not, we're not just talking about like this, this sexual kind of thing, right? Lust is a desire that's selfish. It's a selfish desire. It's anything that you want more than you want God. Anything. You see, we, we kind of define it and break it down in other terms. Like we call, you know, a love for food, an unhealthy love for food, we call that gluttony. Some of us call that golden corral. <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and we can go, man, we pile it up and just enjoy it, right? Oh, it's so good. And you go back for more and you go back for more until you say, oh, wow, I shouldn't have gone back for more. Right? You see, that's lust. It's just we want more. But it drives us to sin. Because it takes us to a place we didn't need to go. And and so we have this lust for more. We just want more. But that gives birth to sin. And then sin gives birth to death. Romans 6.23 makes it clear. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God created us for this relationship with him. But because of sin, we have been separated from God. there's a brokenness. And it causes us to look for love in all the wrong places. Y'all know that song. Been looking for love in all the wrong places. And so what can happen is this, is we can go to a person, we can go to a thing, we can go to anything, right, looking to fill that emptiness inside of us. But because God creates, God also initiates. You see, God's not content to leave us where we are. And really, even a non-believer, if they were just open their eyes and realize that everything is not just coincidental, everything is not just happenstance, that actually you didn't have that accident because God sovereignly protected you. You didn't have that accident because God's providence is still over your life. That, that, listen, 2 Peter 3, 9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some people count slackness. But he's long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that it all should come to repentance. You know why Jesus hasn't come back today? And I know many of us would be like, Lord Jesus, come today. Please come today. You know why he hasn't come back? Because he's patient. And it's not about you. It's about all the other people who don't know him. That he is holding out for just one more person to believe that he truly loves them. And so for us, even though we want the Lord to come back, our prayer should be, Jesus, come back as soon as you can. But until then, everyone, come to Jesus. Don't just expect Jesus to come to you. You come to Jesus. Turn to him. Look to him because he is looking for you. God initiates the most famous verse in all the Bible. Today we're going to see the Super Bowl. Used to, when I watch football games, man, you'd always see somebody back there behind the, the, the goal posts. they would always be somebody there holding up, John 3.16, John 3.16. We don't see it as much anymore. Why is that? Maybe a few reasons. But I wonder if it's because the Christian voice has now become absent. Let me tell you this, uh, today you're going to see two ads on the Super Bowl. These ads are expensive. I, I think I saw some article about the ad that's coming up on the Super Bowl that's going to represent Jesus. there's two of them run about 20 million dollars. And yet, there are Christians who have invested so that Jesus is represented in the Super Bowl. That's great. But it'd be great, er if there were individuals who were representing Jesus for free, right? And, and so, listen, today when you watch the Super Bowl and, and if, you're, if you're people that engage online, let me encourage you. Support the He Gets Us, the He Gets Us campaign. You can go to hegetsus.com. You can get information there. But, but let me tell you, this campaign is making a difference. There's never been an ad for Jesus in a Super Bowl. And today we're going to make history as Christians. Amen. Amen. And so, I want to encourage you to be prayerful because there will be people who are going to watch this and they're going to say, "What what is this?" And maybe just maybe they might go to, "He gets us." Because they might feel like, "Wow, maybe there are some people who understand where I'm coming from. What my life is really like." You see, God has taken steps toward his creation because he loves his creation. And John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but could have everlasting life. But God is leaving that up to you. Do you believe that? Has that changed your life? You see, God didn't create robots. He created humans with a mind and a free will to choose. Each one of us has a brain, and we get to use our volition, our choices in how we live. But you have to make that choice. You see, God has initiated. God is moving toward you. Even today, he's moving toward you. Even today, he is calling out your name. Even today, he is seeking after you. But you have to make a choice. That if God is choosing you, will you choose him? That if God has made everything as plain and simple and as easy to become a follower of His, will you make that choice? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, look at what it says. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him, in love He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to Himself. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, with which he favored us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings, according to the riches of his grace, of which he lavished on us. That that God has chosen us. You say, what about the unbelievers? Listen, God has already chosen them too. It's just they haven't chosen him back. God wants everyone. Jesus died for everyone. It doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter what your skin color is. doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. God has chosen you. The question is, will you choose him? Because if you're going to choose him, let me tell you this, you have to make changes. Look, you can go and date somebody. You can even get married to somebody. But don't think you're going to stay married and have it your way all the time. It ain't going to work. You're going to have to change. You're going to be changed in that relationship. And the same thing is true with God. A lot of people just want to say, oh, well, you know, God, God did this. God made me this way. No, sin made you that way. We're born into a world of sin. We have a sinful nature. And so, yes, you may have been born a certain way, but this is why the Bible says you must be born again. So, you can have a predisposition, you can have a tendency, you can have an inclination, you can be drawn to certain things in life. But through the power of God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, living your life, you can choose differently. Doesn't mean your wants and desires are all going to change immediately. It does mean you can practice discipline, just like every other person the world has to do. There are times when you have to exercise discipline and just say no. Even though everything within me may want to say something, you know what? I just got to say nope. I'm not going to say it. Even though everything within me may want to do something, I'm going to have to say nope. Even though I might want to have some road rage, and there are times when I do want to have some road rage, I have to say nope. Even though, right, somebody may treat me wrong in line at the supermarket. And I got to say, nope, I got to take it. Right? Because you see, it's not about how I feel. It's about how I respond to what I feel. So, a person who is a follower of Jesus has to put aside their feelings sometimes and has to exercise Practicing godliness, practicing holiness, and it is a practice. you got to work at it. God doesn't love you because you're perfect, and God doesn't expect you to be perfect. You can't be perfect. You can't be sinless in this world. Only one was sinless, and that was Jesus. But he is perfecting us. He is making us more like Christ every day. There's something called the cosmological argument. Y'all ever heard of that? I heard of it, but I didn't remember it until I was preparing. I took philosophy in college, and I almost failed. So don't hold this against me. This is something that I've researched a little bit. So let me tell you what the cosmological argument is. This is not about cosmetics, okay? <laughs> it's about the cosmos, Okay, the world, the space around us. And all this theory states is that for every observable effect, there has to be a cause. Okay, we have a cause and we have an effect. And the greater the effect, then the greater the cause. So if we consider our universe as the effect of creation, then let's consider this, right? Number one, that light from our closest star actually takes more than four years to reach us. Think about that. Light... Coming, y'all know, y'all have heard of light speed, right? Well, the speed of light to get from the star closest to us still takes four years to get here. It actually takes eight minutes for the rays of the sun to come from the sun to the planet. Think about that. You're feeling old heat, right? It's actually cooled down because it took eight minutes to get here. It's not as hot as it was. So, so think about this, right? So the next thing, that our galaxy, the Milky Way is one of the countless galaxies in the universe. If we were to ta- travel at the speed of light, it would take us 150,000 years to cross it. Just across our galaxy, and there are literally billions of galaxies. Number three, Hugh Ross, he's an astrophysicist, has calculated 59 effects that must be just right to allow life to exist on our planet. 59 things, that if it was off by just a degree. did you understand this? That if our planet was tilted one degree less or more, life would not be able to exist as it is. The planet would be either too hot or too cold. That, that, that because the way the planet revolves, right, is how we get our seasons, and if it wasn't revolving on this axis, we wouldn't have seasons like we do. That, that the way we have our planet set up with moisture and, and water and all this is, is the exact perfect conditions for human life. You think that just happened? No. There's a cause, but behind this, this, um, this effect, there's a, there's a creator, someone who caused it to happen. And so if this is the effect, it tells us that our creator is awesome and powerful, and yet, people still don't want to choose him as God. Listen, God loves us. He loves the world. He created us. And he was even willing to cross the galaxies to come and live on this planet. He's not just somewhere out there, right? Some of y'all may be familiar with the X-Files. The truth is out there. Listen, Jesus came so the truth could be in here. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way to the Father except by Him. And so, number three, right, God demonstrates. God creates, God initiates. He's moving toward you today. He wants you to know that He loves you. He wants you to understand He has a plan for His life. And so, number three, God demonstrates His love for us. It wasn't enough for God to just sit up in heaven and say, Oh, hey, people of earth, I love you. No, in fact, God said, I love you so much, I'm going to come and walk among you. I'm going to come and and, and experience life as a human being. I'm going to come and walk in skin just like you've got. I'm going to come and have aches and pains just like you have. Listen, when Jesus fell down and scraped his knee, he bled just like you and I. That Jesus had to be raised up in a family just like you and I. And... Probably with a single mother because we don't hear much from Joseph. It's very possible that he died while Jesus was young. And so, can Jesus understand you? Yes, he can. He gets us. He understands you. He knows what you're going through. And even though Jesus may not have had every same experience like you have, listen, we believe in the omniscience of God. That he knows your story. He knows what's going on with intimate details in your life. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and verse number 14 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So everything that we see, everything that you experience right here, Right? It was Jesus who did it. Jesus is the master planner. He is the one who who has orchestrated everything. But then verse 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw the glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That Jesus came as the God-man. And He lived among us. The message translation, or I don't really like to call it translation, the message paraphrase, says this, that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. That Jesus, he he took up residence and lived in a place just like you and I, among people just like you and I. Jesus had to fix his hair. Jesus ate just like you and I. Jesus had to deal with people just like you and I. And so, he came to demonstrate God's love for us. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while you're still sinning, while you're still imperfect, Christ died for you. And he didn't do this because he was just a benevolent God. He was just good. No, he did this because he loved you. You see, people can do good things for you, but they, don't, they might not care about you. But that's not God. God did this because he really cares, because he really does love you. Valentine's Day is on Tuesday, and it's the day we celebrate love. People spend, plan to spend an average of $192.80 on their Valentine's Day person this year. Hmm. Where are they getting that money from? <laughs> Almost 10% more than the 175 they planned to spend last year. In total, <laughs> in total, people plan to spend $130 of their Valentine's Day budget on significant others and family nearly identical to last year's figure. All right. But aside from spending their uh, money on a partner or family member, people expect uh, expect to spend $52 and some on friends, pets, and co-workers and their children's teachers or classmates. 37% or higher than the $38 they spent last year. Now listen, I love my dog Samson, but he ain't getting $52 on Valentine's Day. I'm sorry. He might get a little, you know, dollar dog biscuit, but that's it. You know, we don't have a problem spending money on people we love. But, but listen to this. John 15, 13 says, "Greater love has no one than this, that a person to lay down his life for his friends. So here's Jesus, and he's talking to his disciples. He says, guys, I love you. You're my friends. And I'm going to lay down my life for you. But, but let me remind you of what Romans 5, 8 just said. That even while we were still sinners which means we're not his friends. Christ died for us. Christ died for you because there was a time when you were not a friend of God. And and know everybody who says, hey, uh, we're all children of God. That's not true. We're all creations of God, but we're not all children of God. Just because you're born into this world doesn't mean you're a child of God. You got to be born into the next world. That's what makes you a child of God. And so Jesus called these people his friends, but, but we need to remember there was a time when we were enemies of God. Romans 5.10 says this, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. What does that mean? It means this, that because Jesus rose from the dead, we all have the promise of eternal life. That because Jesus conquered death, sin, and the grave, we can have life eternal. Colossians 1, 20 20 through 22, it says this, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace, look at that, through the blood of his cross, through him. I say whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in your mind, engaged in evil deeds. Look, who's he talking about? He's talking about you. Even though this is the way you used to be. Yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. The Bible says that we were enemies and at enmity with God. What does it mean to be at enmity with God? Anybody know what that word means? Enmity? (coughs) At odds? Okay. It's a little bit different than enemies because, you see, you can be an enemy with somebody, but you don't have to talk to them. You can be an enemy with your neighbor and you don't ever have to look at them. You can put up a fence and never see them again, right? You can be an enemy. But, but to be at enmity means this, that you are actively hostile. That you are actively against. You're not just protesting, right? You're actually throwing stones, firing weapons. This is who you are. And the Bible says this, that's how we used to be with God. So when we wonder, how is it that people can be so angry and violent at God? Well, you were once that way too. That's how you were. Look at what James 4.4 says. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility and some translations say enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You cannot straddle the fence. It's one way or the other. You're either friends with the world and at enmity with God, or you're friends with God and we're walking away from the world. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 says this, For he himself is our peace. He is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Talking, when he's talking there, he's talking about the Jews and Gentiles. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of com- uh, commandments, contained in the ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace. Jesus came to give us peace and to make peace between us and God. And so, number 4. God waits. Right? God creates, God initiates, God demonstrates, and God waits. What is God waiting for? He's waiting for us. He's waiting for you to respond. He's waiting for you to understand how much he loves you. And you know, today, whether you're a believer or or not, God loves you. He does love you. And what we have to understand is this, is that we need to be willing to receive that love because if you can receive that love, it will change you forever. Look at what this verse says. Again, John 3, 16, 15 to 16, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the KJV. This is how I learned it when I was younger. And, and this is, the reason I, I put this translation up is because it uses two different words here. Eternal and everlasting. It can be a little confusing. Say, you know, how, how do I get eternal life and then everlasting life? What's, what's the difference? And actually, today, in a lot of modern translations, it just uses the word eternal life. But I think, I think everlasting is a better translation to say we get everlasting life. But in verse 15, it says eternal life clearly. And so I've got this rope up here. Some of y'all may be wondering, what's, what's up with this rope? I'm glad you asked. Uh, I try to do some things like this to keep your attention the whole time. So let's just pretend that this is a timeline. Let's just pretend you don't know where it starts out there. Start somewhere out that door. But that's eternity. We don't know where it started. There is no beginning. There is no ending. Eternity is has no beginning or no ending. Y'all may have done this when you were younger. I remember laying in my bed one time just trying to think about how long forever was. (laughs) I gave up after like 10 seconds. I was like, I can't think about that, right? It just was blowing my mind. But you see, eternal life is no beginning, no ending. This timeline here is set up for us to understand that there is a difference between eternal life and everlasting life. That everlasting life actually has a beginning with no ending. You see, eternal life, no way to comprehend how big and vast eternity is. But everlasting life has a specific beginning point, but it's everlasting. It continues on after it's begun. And so when we make a decision that we are responding to what God wants for us, that's when our new life, we are born again. And at that moment, our eternity, or I don't want to say eternity, I want to say our everlastingness begins. We enter into the timeline of God's eternity is what happens at a single point of decision. And so God is waiting, asking for you to trust him, to believe in him. This year there will be more than 16,000 people who will celebrate their wedding anniversary on Valentine's Day. Think about that. Of this group over 600 people have been married for either 12 and a half, 25, 40, 50 or 60 years. In fact, uh, last year They were doing free weddings for people who wanted to get married on Valentine's Day down at Fulton County. So, if you're looking for that, you know, check it out. You can go and take care of that on Tuesday. (laughs) Some people are cheap. So, so here's, the th- here's my point, right, is that at that some point you've got to make that decision and say, hey, I, I do, right? When, whenever we perform weddings, right, I don't just, uh, when I did Satan and Devin's wedding, when I did Darren and Ashley's wedding, when I, uh, who else I did Trevor and Jesse's wedding. I've done several people's weddings in here, right? When I ask them, well, I, I don't just look to the woman and say, hey, do you take this guy? <laughs> and she says, I do. We don't stop there. I ask the guy, hey, you take her too? Yeah. You see, it's both. Got to agree. If one says, well, I'm not quite so sure, you know what? We ain't doing the wedding. <laughs> no. You both got to say, I do. I will. And so God has already said, I do. The question is, do you? The question is, he wants you to be part of the marriage The Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. That we have to come to a point in our life when we say, I do. And when you say, I do, to that significant other, you then enter into what we call a marriage, where there are covenantal vows that you make. Promises to each other in the presence of other witnesses. Some people call it tying the knot. I have some... Small rope here. You see, there has to be a time in your life when you make a decision to follow Jesus. And when you do that, you're tying the knot. And what happens is this, is your eternity changes. And you move from a life that's just here on earth to an everlasting life because you tied the knot. You enter into the eternal life of God at this point. It becomes everlasting life for you. But you enter into the eternal life of God at this point. Today, I've got several pieces of string up here. And I'm just wondering, have you ever made that kind of commitment? To say, yes, I want to receive God's love, or I have received God's love, but you know, I just haven't really paid attention to how much He loves me. Maybe today, you need to renew your vow. Maybe today, you need to say, yes, I do, because of what He's done. Maybe today, you need to tie the knot as a reminder that this is the day that I said yes to the Lord. Jesus is waiting for you, and he's chosen you. Will you choose him? There will be no greater thing that could happen on this pre-Valentine's Day weekend than for you to move into a relationship with Jesus Christ. God created you, and he loves you. God has initiated, even by bringing you here today. God has demonstrated his love for us and that Jesus laid down his life willingly, not just for his friends, but for those of us who were even opposed to him. And Today, God is waiting for your response. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of reflection and time for you. That if you feel like, you know, I need to tie the knot that you would come and you would say here's my life God and I wanna, I, I'm willing to change I'm willing to be changed let me say this many of us have tried to change and it had not worked you can't change yourself but Holy Spirit can change you he can give you new desires, new wants he can give you a new life but you're going to have to tie the knot and say, I'm committed to you, Lord. Whatever it is you want, I want. Maybe you're here. And this is, this is, listen. Billy Graham was asked many years ago, what is the one truth that has changed your life? And he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's all you need to know this morning is that Jesus loves you. And so today, church, today, Christian, today, non-believer, let me let you understand, there's eternity. There is a point when our lives are going to end. And the only way we get eternal life, the only way we get everlasting life is that at some point, you have to choose Jesus. Today, I pray, if you haven't made that choice, You'll tie the knot today. If you've already tied the knot, let me encourage you. Come up and just tie it on this this timeline just to represent to everybody, hey, I've already made that decision. I, I have Jesus and he's the love of my life. You respond as the Lord moves you.